This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. All right, the banking sector has obviously been uh, a focus, a big focus over the last few weeks. The question now is, where do we go? What changes may need to be made? I had a chance to speak with Caitlin Long, who is the founder and CEO of Custodia Bank of Wyoming, and get her thoughts on where we stand at the moment, some of the issues that have popped up uh, and where we are headed. As I said, I had a chance to speak to her the other day via Zoom, and here is that conversation. Really, Caitlin, we've seen just an incredible last month or so around the banking sector, and and I think it probably caught a lot of people off guard that the the financial crisis in 08 and Dodd-Frank, that I think a lot of people didn't think we would be able to see what we've been seeing over the last month happen. Why is it, do you think, that, that we have seen this play out? Well, Dodd-Frank got very prescriptive in regulation, and it didn't foresee the scenario that we had, which is a very rapid rise in interest rates. And it, it, we need to go back to first principles in bank regulation, which is very simple. Your bank should be solvent, and it should be able to give you back your deposits when you ask for them, unless you've agreed to tie them up for a certain period of time. And what we saw is that the smaller banks were keeping only about 6% of your deposits in cash, and the larger banks were about 10%. But what we saw was bank runs that took out pretty much all the demand deposits from a few banks. And so it's not rocket science that they had liquidity problems. Yeah, that component of of being prepared for a potential crisis, and that has brought up the issue of risk and, and risk departments and, and that oversight. And I think that's one of the concerns around SVB about what they did or didn't have uh, in terms of their risk compliance uh, that kind of led to the, the crisis that we saw play out. Well, sure. Everyone assumed, and again, this is a, a fault of bank regulation, assuming that we were in an analog world. And it didn't occur to anyone. It's almost like the those who drafted the, the rules and regulations didn't think that online banking and the advent of the internet was going to make bank runs happen a lot faster than they used to. And then when you layer on the fact that the banks that failed were among the most tech forward banks, they had very advanced technology where software could be used to direct payments. And on the back end, what we also learned is that the Federal Reserve Zone systems weren't able to keep up with the speed of the bank's payments on the front end. And now what we see is that by closing down these banks, arguably the bank regulators are trying to push us back to a more analog world, but that's it, it, just like with Uber and the taxi and limousine commissions, People are going to vote with their feet. They've tasted the ability to move money faster, better, cheaper, and they're not going to go back to having to go into a bank branch. Some of the, you know, um, millennials and Gen Z folks in the U.S. have never set foot in a bank branch. So the whole idea of moving back to an analog world as opposed to moving to a fully digital banking system is an anathema, and this is not going to work. So we talked a lot during the pandemic with various business sectors about the pivot moments that they had, that they dealt with. Is this kind of a pivot moment then for the banking industry as we move forward? 
It is. And the Fed would say that it's bringing on a new payment system. It's to, the Federal Reserve has been using 1970s technology for Fedwire and ACH. It, it, there's no reason why it should take us two to three days to settle a payment. Fedwire can settle intraday, but it's again, it's all analog in the back end. And, and they have upgraded the systems. It's something called FedNow, which is coming out this July in its beta test. But what that's going to do is increase the need for banks to hold more cash. And so the banks were holding too little cash going into this environment. They're going to need to hold even more cash going into Fed now. And so I'm not sure that the that unveiling this new backend technology that the Fed has spent seven years building is going to be as smooth as folks think it might be because the banks themselves are not positioned from a balance sheet perspective to, to handle the increased liquidity demands. Then there has to be a lot of concern, worry uh, on a variety of fronts when you think about consumers paying their bills, uh, businesses you know, getting loans, paying off loans, and that slowness that has kind of been in the system for many decades and how that needs to change and the potential negative impact that you could have on a variety of different businesses, consumers, et cetera, by not being able to have that, that speed of performance that's necessary. It's such an interesting observation. And it gets to the, the whole idea that this old banking model of borrowing short-term from depositors and then turning around and lending long-term. So taking a demand deposit that someone thinks they can get back from their bank within minutes and then turning around and putting it into a 30-year mortgage loan. It's the old, it's a wonderful life scenario. And the challenge with that is that's not the way the world works anymore. And as a result, the banking industry, from a risk perspective, for example, the regulators will assume there's an immediate 35% withdrawal of demand deposits. That was the extreme scenario, which in an analog world really is an extreme scenario, but it's not in a digital world. We saw in Silicon Valley Bank, that they lost a quarter of their deposits within the span of a few hours. So the scenarios that the regulators had been using are just outdated for the world we live in now. And instead of trying to push everybody backwards to an analog world, what they should be doing is thinking, how do we adopt to the demands of the users for truly digital payments? Right, and that, and that becomes even more important with the potential impact of cryptocurrencies, of of Bitcoin, uh, of the role that blockchain is probably going to be playing or is playing now, but is going to play more as we move forward into the future. That's another great observation. And it's, it's part of the equation that these new digital assets settle faster, better, cheaper than the old analog payment systems. And 22% and of Americans own them. And it definitely skews towards the younger generations, millennials and Gen Z. And again, a, a very few folks in those generations have ever set foot in a bank branch. So the whole idea that, that they're no longer going to be able to use banks in, a, in, in the way that they have been using them is just going to make that gen, those generations walk with their feet to use digital assets. So I do think that the bank regulators in Washington, DC have it exactly backwards. What they should be doing is embracing these new technologies and bringing them into the regulated sphere, bringing them into the regulatory perimeter as the phrase goes. And instead what has happened is that the anti 
tech anti-crypto wing in Washington, D.C., which is in both political parties, to be clear, has decided to try to shove it out into the shadows, it's going to come boomeranging right back to them. It's not going away. And as Exhibit A, just look at the price and usage of Bitcoin itself since this whole crisis uh, unveiled. It's uh, It was the best performing asset in Q1, and it's up 70% since the regulators in Washington, D.C. started cracking down on it. Yeah, I was going to say, but what do you say to the people that obviously have seen with you know, cryptocurrency drawing more of attention, that negative side, that, you know, the, the, the impact out there. Regulation may play a big part in, in kind of alleviating that. But until we get to that point, we all know that, you know, our Capitol Hill system doesn't run exactly that smooth right now. You know, the, the potential for concern is still there. Oh, you're absolutely right. This industry, the, the, the crypto industry is filled with fraud. It's filled with overleveraged business models. It was ripe with corruption, and the vast majority of it needed to burn on a raging funeral pyre. But what's happened in Washington, D.C., is that the law-abiding parts of the industry who are trying to use this technology to, uh, to create better, faster, cheaper, and more transparent payments, they've been shoved to the side by the regulators as well. So your point is well taken. I think it is going to take a couple of years, given that we have a divided Congress. And the interesting point in, in the U.S. is... In those couple of years, how much is the rest of the world going to gain on the United States because the the Biden administration and again, there, there are parts of the Republican Party as well, it's not just one party, has chosen to shove it off into the corners. When I see both uh, Senator Warren and uh, uh, you know Senator Lummis from Wyoming, for example, calling for boring banking again. Those are strange bedfellows, uh, and and they're and it, they they would disagree on the use of digital assets, but they do agree on the notion that banking should be made boring. We should have reliable, safe banks for our money, and a business that has more than more than ten or fifteen employees for which a payment is going to be more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars for payroll, for example. Right. Those right. businesses shouldn't have to worry about whether their banks are gonna default. We definitely have a major restructuring of the banking industry coming and markets are forcing it because of how fast information is moving and because digital assets have created these better payment systems. Well, and especially when you're talking about the involvement that uh, Silicon Valley and big tech had with some of these institutions and the importance of the entrepreneurship and the innovation that these companies are gonna bring forward, you don't want to have their assets on the back end, you know, being at risk in any way, shape or form. Absolutely. And, and, and this gets it to a there's a really great Harvard Business Review article that came out calling for payment banks. Let's create let's let's divide the banking industry into what it should be, which is banks that, are, that just handle payments and then separately banks that make loans. Right now, those two things are commingled. They're forced together. And that's the whole borrow short, lend long business model. The problem with right. that business model is, as we just saw in an internet age, it doesn't work anymore because, inter because, because information moves so fast and money itself can move at, at, at virtually the speed of light. And, and, and the backend systems can't handle that. Okay, so we're, we're in a world where that old risk model for banking doesn't work. We should separate the two, as this Harvard Business Review article is calling for, create payment banks where the banks just sit 100% in cash and then create separate lending banks that are funded by depositors who are willing to give up 
the ability to, to withdraw their deposits on demand in exchange for an interest rate that compensates them for that. And what we've seen right now in the banking industry is that virtually no banks are paying any interest to speak of on your checking deposits. Those right. are demand deposits that can be withdrawn on demand. Um, and, and, and even in time deposits, like certificates of deposit, the interest rates are not even remotely close to what you could earn on a T-bill. And so it, clearly we've seen billions in migrations, actually hundreds of billions in the beginning of, of deposits migrating out of the banking system and into T-bills. Because with a T-bill, you're not taking on the, the bank's credit risk and you're getting paid right now. Four and a half percent ish on your on your on your interest rate. So there's there's that that is an issue that the that the rapid rise in interest rates created for the banking industry. However, right. this is not rocket science. It's happened before, and the banks should have been able to manage this. And the bank supervisors, particularly those at the top of the bank regulatory agencies, the FDIC, the Federal Reserve, and the OCC, they should have seen this coming. Kaylin, great to have you with us. Thanks very much for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Caitlin Long, who is founder and CEO of Custodia Bank. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.